I've seen American flowers all across this land from the banks of the Shenandoah along the Rio Grande. Do not feel Welcome to episode 11 of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. On this episode, I'm in conversation with Sarah Cunningham. Sarah is the founder and executive director of Free Mom Hugs, a group of affirming parents and allies who love the LGBTQ community unconditionally. They're dedicated to educating families, church, and civic leaders, encouraging them to not only affirm the LGBTQ community, but to celebrate them. Since 2014, Sarah has been a tireless voice for full inclusion and equality for all people. Sarah's voice and the movement that she started is what love, dignity, and respect look like in real time. I hope that this episode encourages you to locate and to address the blockages to love in you and around you. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Sarah Cunningham. Do not feel the winter blowing in the hearts of men. I've seen American flowers, they will bloom again. Okay, Sarah, thank you for being uh, on the Voices of Wisdom podcast. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Tony. I'd like to start out by asking you, how are you experiencing the world right now at this moment? Uh, by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I think it would be a fair, fair statement, but enjoying every second. Um, at every turn of events, um, it's just been a complete joy surprise and if it just ended today i would just i don't know I, words are hard to express what we've experienced in the last year not only as an individual myself personally our family and just the organization as a whole has just been mm. um nothing that i could ever have anticipated or planned for prepared for yeah it's been amazing, yeah. amazing. And the beautiful thing I keep telling myself, Tony, is that no one knows what this looks like. Or I don't. If you do, let me in on that. But um, <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about it. And to, to see the ripple effect, and it's just been amazing. Yeah. I could die I could die right here and now. I could. Mm. That's I don't beautiful. Want <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think it was out of all responses out of all possible responses to um, suffering in this particular form of suffering as it shows up, um, why hugs? What was it about hugs? Well, I, I think there's something very profound that happens in the simplicity of the human touch. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, when I first realized it, we were um, at our former church. We were having a fundraiser in the parking lot. And um, the youth was, were raising money to go to Mexico or something like that. And so we were outside in the parking lot washing cars. And I was holding a car wash sign at the corner of the church. And this is when I first realized the power of connection. The passerbys, the, the people that were driving by, and they would honk and wave. There was a connection there. We didn't have to say a word. There, you know, We saw each other, the wave. And that was my first interaction in that sense. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And so I realized we had a connection, 
even though, you know, they might not have pulled in and had the car wash, but, um, and hugs, my family, you know, we, we hug for everything and, um, but you know, not everybody's a hugger. So there's a high five, but. um, Right. Yeah. And have you found that many people have expressed that, that that touch in particular has been healing, you know, when, when there's so much, um, isolation or division or, um, gosh, marginalization, but, but then also the touch that we do get a lot of times is either abusive or sexual or somehow not just appropriate loving touch for when we're in a, in a state of suffering. Yeah. I think a hug just, um, shouts, acceptance, celebration, comfort. I mean, just everything is, can be done in a hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's healing there uh, to see the expression of just grown men weeping, uh, young women just collapsing in your arms, or just the, the happiness that comes from it, not only for the receiver, but for the giver too. Mm-hmm. So I do believe there's, I think there's a spiritual connection there, definitely a physical um, just all around goodness. Mm-hmm. I went to see the Buddhist monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh speak several years ago, and a lot of his monks, um, or the monks that were with him, were walking around holding hands. And there was something so beautiful about seeing two grown men walking around holding hands in a, in a way that's just so not considered normal. Um, and, and it was just a beautiful image of how normal that actually is. You know, in childhood, it's so normal, but we, we lose that so quickly or it's taken from us so quickly. Yes, yes. I, and once you see it there, you see it everywhere in a lot of things. But, um, you know, I, I uh, share with Katrina sometimes that I can go to a drag show and just cry hot tears at the beautiful expression of human sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, there's something about... now you know, just stay with me, but there's something about when that, you know, you usually give a dollar to the performer and, but there's a touch, there's a connection there and there's eye contact and there's a connection there. And it, it's just profound, you know? And I, I thought, I I just, it's a wonderful experience when you can look at it that way. And it may sound crazy. I don't know, but I've experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I popped into a drag show in Mississippi about three years or so ago and a colleague that I didn't know was performing there. Actually, we had that <laughs> encounter. <laughs> and it was so incredibly beautiful. Isn't it? You know, and, you're able to see it that way. Yeah. And he had this kind of wink and was like, don't tell anybody I was here and just oh. laughed, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, so would you mind starting with, for those who don't already know, um, sort of uh, whatever you feel is appropriate and and whatever length of time you you wish, sort of where your story started, uh, as far as as far as um, I guess the angle I'm I'm, I'm interested in is uh, your child coming out in the context of church. Yes, that's where it started. Um, yeah, we um, our youngest son is we we're talking about Parker, and um, at five years old, he came barreling down the stairs in one of my dresses. And I was in the kitchen, and he danced and twirled in our kitchen until his hair was wet with sweat. Now, at that time, 
I was kind of taken back. Um, I, di- I didn't react very well at that time. And it was my first glimpse of how he would try, you know, of a conversation that he would try to have with me for mm. um, all, of, all through his adolescence and most of his, you know, until he turned 21. So, um, but looking back on that time, if I could go back, I would, I would have gotten up from the chair and I would have danced with him you know, and celebrated that moment with him because mm. I'd never seen that expression on his face, that joy as he was able to just express himself in that way. Cause he didn't have a vocabulary that he was five years old, you know, to say, mom, this feels really good. This makes me happy. Um, and that's a part of, of who he is, but to mm-hmm. deny him that because of my own reservations, my own insecurities, my own fears. So mm-hmm. that was the beginning of it. Um, and then raising your children in the church and absorbing this idea that uh, homosexuality is unforgivable, condemnable, uh, and that when Parker took a stand as a gay man at the age of 21, feeling that uh, same sex crossed the line and that you know, his salvation would be lost. And that's, that was the most terrifying moment in my life, in my mm. faith walk. Uh, as a mother, um, and talking about it now, it sounds so absurd, but at the time I was frozen in that fear that my son was condemned to hell. And so it was a journey. I had to re-examine everything that I believed and it was, it was, uh, devastating. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be. That's the good news, Tony. It does not have to be. Yeah. And, and it, it sounds like you're speaking to, even if it was unintentional, uh, an exposure to religious abuse and trauma to, to, be, to be taught all of those things that, oh. um, yeah, that became a blockage to relating purely uh, with Parker. Oh, absolutely. And um, there are families who have lost their children mm-hmm. uh, to this, uh, this situation, this condition, this teaching, this uh, absorption of misuse, misinterpretation, and I believe um, uh, just misdirection of the scripture. And yeah. so it took, it took getting educated uh, on, on what the Bible really says about homosexuality, on the history of human sexuality, evidence, and ultimately testimonies from gay Christians that changed my mind and I needed to hear from someone who shared my faith that one, it's okay to search the matter out. And then to hear testimonies of, of uh, individuals on the LGBTQ plus spectrum spectrum who love the Lord. Um, that just allowed me to, to see past my own fear and ignorance. Now I used to go through phases where I was, I was devastated uh, when we went through what we did with the church and our church family, our church home of 20 years, uh, I was devastating at first, the alienation and the separation that, that, that was on that journey. As I became more, more affirming, my testimony suddenly became less and less. And so, but I went from, you know, devastation, bitter, anger, sorrow, grief, until finally I realized we just didn't even know how to minister to each other. And that, that mm. gave me some peace that we, we never talked about it. We didn't have same sex couples in our church. Um, when it was talked about, it was just this abstract idea of damnation and, you know, choose, you know, anyway, 
sorry, I get off the rails. No, no. Um, so it's been a process, but now I'm really understanding that we did not know how to minister. But I also know what I would have done if I had gone to my pastor and he would have said, Sarah, I, I don't know how to minister to you in this way, but here's some faith-based resources mm. that, that, you know, let's, let's walk through this. Let's work through this. So, Right. Yeah. So when that sense of belonging broke down for you, what, um, what was your process through that sense of losing your sense of belonging in your community of 20 years? It was devastating at first uh, because that's everything that I knew. Uh, we just, we were at the church. It was our, our home, our life. I don't want to say livelihood. We never were employed at the church, but it was our, our life. You know, if we weren't at the church, we had fellowship here in the home. And it was devastating because, you know, you serve for 20 years and you celebrate your, your children being born, weddings, funerals all of the things and you serve together, you serve a community inside and outside of the church. And we did some really wonderful things together. And then to have that slowly, you know, just ripped apart and you don't know how to even talk to each other or to help each other, to comfort each other. Mm -hmm. And when I did try to express what we were going through, it just nobody knew how to, talk to us without with the very best intention of intentions they just mm -hmm. shamed us you know again i don't believe that was intentional but they were saying things that i probably would have said myself to someone at that mm -hmm. time does that make sense absolutely yeah it, it's uh sounds so incredibly objectifying where you, you it seems like you're a little less um a part of the collective or maybe a lot less a part of the collective at that point. It sounds like almost like you're more talked at than talked to in a way. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when you go from like, I helped with the youth, I had, I had a big role, you know, I wasn't necessarily in, in authority or, but I helped with the youth. Um, I helped in the kitchen on Wednesday night. Uh, I, you know, participated in Bible study and I love scripture. I love, uh, pictures and illustrations of, of scripture. I just love everything about church life and to not be valued or my testimony become less as I become more affirming or accepting of my son. It just, you know, it was a very difficult time. Yeah. What had been the primary factors that helped you to get from that point to where you are today? Uh, well, there's a saying that when a child comes out of their closet, oftentimes the parents go into theirs. So I went into my closet. I really thought that I was the only mom with these insane thoughts in my head. And it was definitely a faith issue. It was a, a reconciling of and re-examining of everything that I believed. And I wrestled between, you know, grace and the law and... I could not get past, you know, the, the, the story of the cross and forgiveness and salvation and the blood covers, you know. Um, but at the same time, realizing or seeing that homosexuality, I don't believe it's a sin. So trying to, I don't even know how to verbally talk about it, but to trying to put grace 
or the or the blood of the Lord, you know, the covenant to cover up something that you're learning is is not something to be covered up or you know forgiven for. Does that make sense? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So it never it it wasn't ever anything that I I had to forgive or I had to yeah you know, I don't know that process it never it never you know and so the process was uh, I remember specifically profoundly things that happened along, along that journey first of all Parker saying mom I want you in every part of my life but how much of that is up to you and mm. I have. I have been your son for 21 years. I need you to be my mom now. Mm. Yes. uh, Finally, uh, one day when I I was in the laundry room and I just thought, I looked at heavens and I thought, Lord, I don't, how do I do this? How do I, you know, love the sinner but hate the sin when I don't, I don't really see it as a sin. And how do I do that? And I felt like just the Holy Spirit said, "We, what's important to your son needs to be important to you. And from that moment on, I said, then I'm trusting that process. If it's important to him and he's a good, uh, he's on a faith walk himself, um, he's, and also seeing him live authentically, seeing him um, healthy and happy, whereas before he had anxiety, he struggled school, depression, uh, just you don't understand the, the behavior there. And then when he took a stand as a gay man to live authentically and being happy and confident and and thriving and everything that you want for your children. So how could I deny that? How could I, you know, deny that yeah. in himself or in myself? So, um, and then getting involved with the community and hearing their stories and realizing that and, and meeting other moms like me, uh, finding other moms uh, in a private online Facebook group. And they ha- we all have the same story with these insane thoughts in our mind, in, in our head, and just making our, our families' lives miserable. And then getting educated, realizing we're not alone and finding our voice. And then, you know going forward, being visible and vocal and being very much aware of what's happening and what's happened in, in the church. And anyway, again, I'm off the rails. So ring me in. Yeah. So your, your, your healing was bound to bound up together. It wasn't just your healing and his, but it was a mutual healing of meeting in this new place. Yeah, I do. I, I touch on that in the book too, because as I was at my lowest point, there was a time I was just so depressed and, and discouraged and just at despair, thinking my son was going to burn in hell, that he knew that it was, in my mind, it was, it was what was happening with him that was causing me so much pain. And that was a, a burden that, that he didn't have, that he shouldn't have had to carry. Mm-hmm. I understand that he was carrying that. It was, it was so, so bad. So yeah. I've worked with so many families where the family feels like they have to choose between their church and their child. And I've seen so many times where the family chose the church because that was where their sense of meaning and belonging and purpose and all these other things were um, to the detriment of their relationship with their child. And it's, I don't know that I've, 
I really can't think of anything that I would consider more tragic than those particular situations. Uh, the complete abandonment of a child and, and the labeling of you're a sinner and you must be healed or transformed into something you're not. Um, I just, I don't even know if we, if our psychological tools can even measure how many layers and to what extent, you know, damage occurs inside of a human in those cases. And uh, it sounds like you, you, you created your own community or joined a, a, a community that was building of, of people who um, spoke a better language than that, had a better storyline than that. Yeah, but I, um, that story of, of the alienation and separation with families mm-hmm. just being completely mm-hmm. devastated and, and torn apart. I, mm-hmm. You know, we hear it every day. We hear it every yeah. day, multiple times. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's just unfortunate. So that's what, you know, Free Mom Hugs is working very diligently and dedicated to, to changing that conversation, to changing the social norm. Um, and I also want to add that part of the process was seeing other people accept and celebrate my son when I, mm. I didn't know if I wanted to or how to, you know, in the way that, that he needed at that time. So that yeah. was huge to see other people love on him and accept him um, was a huge eye opener. So, so we're kind of withdrawing from the church. Um, he stops going because, you know, doesn't feel valued or, or celebrated or, you know, just feeling a, that alienation. And then slowly we begin to remove ourselves from participating. And I just want to put a banner on the, our front door, like welcome to the real world. Because at that time when I, we didn't have someplace to go Sunday and Wednesday night and been consumed with, you know, Crestwood Baptist church and what's going on there. Um, you start looking around you and realize what a bubble you're in, you know, and then, uh, so I got involved with the community. We stood with Parker at uh, the Oklahoma City Pride Parade, and that was my first interaction uh, with this beautiful community. And it's just blocks away from where I live. But interestingly enough, you could walk to 39th Street. It's it's where the, uh, our uh, the gay district is. You know, there's bars. There's a, an affirming church there. There's services that, that serve the community. But also, in the di- different direction that you can walk to, there's a conversion therapy service. <laughs> so oh, wow. where I live, I'm I'm like almost smack dab in bet- like in the middle of the gay district and the conversion therapy service. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So um, I'm well aware of what's yeah. Just meeting meeting people and seeing what's been happening and just seeing a need there, and it was. It's uh, so that's church. That's my church now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Do you feel, do you consider what you do your ministry? Yes. Yes. And I feel like it's exactly what I was created to do. Mm -hmm. And not only this, but I feel like it's what we were all created to do. Maybe not in this arena for my neighbor, but we're all created to lift up and have the best interest Better in, best interest for someone else is humanity. It's the ebb and flow, I believe, with the Holy Spirit to serve and to serve each other. Yeah, and I think there's such a powerful message in your story as well where I've heard so many people make the argument of, well, you chose your child or your agenda or your beliefs or your thoughts or some 
place that brainwashed you or whatever over scripture. And, and I hear you speaking of how literally you follow Jesus out of church and into the work you're in now and the, and the way you live now and the way you commune now. And uh, there's, there's something, I just feel like that's a story the whole world needs to hear. Thank you, Tony. I, yeah. I feel like uh, I, I, I experience God. I experience the Holy Spirit. I experience people to a much greater degree than I ever thought possible. And I mean, I was, I was involved in church. You know, we did, we did everything. I love scripture. I love the spiritual texture of, of life. And, but I do believe that's what we were created to do is love. And I, but I just re-examined heaven. I re-examined hell. Um, I love the, the gospel story, but I, I no longer identify as a Christian because I feel guilty by association. So mm. oftentimes I'll introduce myself as a woman of faith. Um, but I do believe in God. I believe in the, the story of Jesus. I believe mm-hmm. in the gospel. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of communion. I believe in the power of love. And... I like to think that the rapture, I mean, there was a time that I was rapture ready, Tony. I would look to the heavens and I'd say, Lord, come on. I would watch signs of the times, you know? Wow. I was, yeah. And if I couldn't get you saved, I don't know who could, you know? Like, I would tell people at church, I said, look, someone here needs you and you need someone here. And uh, it was a wonderful part of our life um, until you just had to reexamine it. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I so feel you on the, uh, the not identifying as a Christian any longer. It, it's, it sounds a little too, uh, or I feel a little too awkward saying I'm attempting to follow the religion of Jesus rather than the religion attributed to Jesus. <laughs> and that's, you know, but that, that's yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty wordy and, and just sounds somewhat pretentious or something as well. But, uh, but yeah, to literally embody the teachings of Christ rather than to really espouse them. I just don't know if like if there's a better way. Uh, yeah. I think that, I think that it actually, I, personally, I believe that's what he meant when he said he was the way, you know, uh, and to follow him, it wasn't about building a collective around belief and belonging, but it was actually being embodied. Um, and, and so that brings us back to hugs, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I think too, once you see it, like once you see what's been happening as far as um, just the conservative mainstream evangelical, I mean, you could probably speak to it. I know you could speak to it better than I, but once you see it in one arena, you begin to see it everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. And, um, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm aware. And once you're aware of something, you're, I believe you're accountable to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm accountable to what I know, what I've seen, what I've experienced. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm 56 now and I feel like uh, my hair is on fire because at one time I believed that if my son's going to hell for being gay, then I need to stand up and fight for him like my hair is on fire. And I prayed the gay away. I burned the sage. I sprinkled holy water in his room. I mean, I, um, all the rest. And now that I know what I know my hair is on fire and you know in in that same vein we can ban conversion therapy which is uh still legal sought out and paid for in the state of oklahoma um Mm. but good news is it's banned in 19 other states but we're working on it but we can ban conversion therapy today 
but it will not change a thing until we change what we're hearing from our pulpits and from um, the current administration, from you know those in authority. Absolutely. That's what we're doing with mom hugs. And um, it's about changing the social norm. It's about being visible. It's about uh, being proactive on laws that affect you know, our children and families like ours. And um, just saying enough is enough. Yeah, and you know, it, this is such a, a heavy conversation, but to watch how you do what you do, uh, you often do it with a smile <laughs> and a lot of passion yeah. and fun. And uh, I'm, well, I'm thinking back, I'm thinking back to the first time that I, <laughs> I saw you, uh, we talked about earlier, uh, but um, the first time I saw you, you were dressed up as a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah, and, and um, so... Yeah, it's like so. There's all this heaviness and this this grief and this trauma, and you're you're also smiling and dressed like a dinosaur in like really hot weather, probably sweating yourself <laughs> into a coma. Yeah. Yes, but you know, um, I I've, I I I don't know how to explain. You know what what drives me to be so silly sometimes, but I do en- enjoy you know having fun and celebrating people and um but the dinosaur deal i've always every time the commercial would come on and you know with the dinosaur family or whatever getting off the bus um but i always i always laughed so loud so um my son our oldest son bought me a dinosaur outfit so i took it to wild goose with me and it was about a million degrees outside but i wore that thing and i always have a time of our life yes so it was a lot of but I, I, I like the idea of celebrating people and enjoying people, and and it just makes life a whole lot easier. I tried to debate. I tried to, you know, I tried a lot of different uh, projects before Free Mom Hugs took off. I tried to gather at the table, but I couldn't get people to come to the table. <laughs> you know, um, I, I tried, you know, going to different churches and sitting there and meeting the pastors and those in authority and having a conversation. And there was one that was just me doing all the talking. So I'm, I'm glad that this worked. Yeah. And I heard someone say, um, a member of the community said, Sarah, you've made it cool to love your gay kid. And at first that kind of set me back. It's like, I want, I want it to be. I don't want it to be cool. I want it to be, you know, it's what needs to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, I'm glad because free mom hugs is just, it's a platform for people who want to do something and people want to. Yeah. Do yeah. And there's something about watching someone do it, what they do joyfully and not purely defined by the, um, the pain that initiated the process, but also just, modeling what it looks like to to work from not just the the trauma and the hardship and the devastation, but also from a place of joy. And I'm thinking about communities I've been in where, you know, none of this is even a conversation anymore. It's a conversation because we're having to deal with what's happening in, in the larger collective, but faith communities where this is just so much of a non-issue uh, that it's, it's no longer reactive, it's just joyful. You know, and there's something about modeling living fully in spite of uh, that is just part of why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, yeah. You. So, well, I will, I'll tell you a time just real quick, if I could. Um, 
we had a small group of moms go to a baseball game and it, it was gay days at our baseball uh, stadium. And so we went there and there's young groups there, uh, friends, you know, together and they're wearing the pride flag and their transgender flag and just having a wonderful time. The weather's great. We're winning, you know, the game and great time. Right. So we're there and there's a group of older people who didn't know that it was gay days at the baseball field. Right. So they're looking at us and they're looking at the kids and there's, I call them scoffers. They're like scowling and you could just feel the negativity, you know, mm-hmm. coming from them. But in that, in that moment, I could see the scoffers and I could see these beautiful kids with their rainbow flags on. And at that moment, I felt like the Lord saying, you're not here for them looking at the scoffers. You're here for them and the group of kids. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I've not even paid any attention. Not even wow. any attention. And I get I get the mail. I check my tires every morning. But I don't I don't even think about I don't lose sleep where I was before mm-hmm. I used to try and debate or have I would have walked over to them and tried to talk about it, but no, not anymore. I don't Yeah. So that was I'm actually saving, I'm saving my pearls. <laughs> so that uh, that sounds so much like what could be described as a conversion experience to a degree where you, you see the this dualism, this the disdain and the joy and, and at the same time and, and how could you not choose the beauty and the joy mm-hmm. over that? Yeah. yeah. Well and two, you know, I I write a little bit of, about it in my book is that when you when you scowl and you when you shame someone else that's the sin. When you shame, mm-hmm. when you shame even yourself, and that's that's nothing to do with pride or arrogance. That's right. Nothing to do with the, the just the beautiful, you know, creation that you are, and to mm-hmm. celebrate that, and it just allows you to receive people a lot easier, and allows you to be approachable, and you just participate in this interaction of, of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beautiful thing. Yeah. You, know, you scoff and you scowl, that's shame. And I believe that is sin. Absolutely. Um, the, the only word that I can think of that really fits at this time in my processing is, is just objectification. That looking at a person as if they're a thing or a problem or an issue instead of a human is a, uh, Oh, that so fits the definition of sin for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, I don't know if you, are you familiar with Stan Mitchell? I am, I know Stan. I, um, I spoke at Grace Point last year. Oh, yeah, uh, so do you yeah. know, he has an excellent yeah. teaching on shame. Yeah. Um, in, from, this, yeah. from this viewpoint, and I mean, I, I agree, but I also, I felt it in my book uh, when I was just at the lowest part of despair. I remember the story of Cain and Abel and my thought, my face was downcast. Like I knew the definition, my face, if downcast had a picture, it was my face at that moment in my life. Mm. And I could feel it like it was a cancer inside of me. And mm. that I believe is sin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what brings you the most hope and joy right now at the, at the, place you are right now and um 
you know, you're, you're such a, a fertile place in your work and you've, you've been at it for a while now. And like at this moment, uh, I'm sure it felt different a year ago and it may be a, a different a year from now, but at this moment, what's bringing you the most hope and joy? The most hope and joy is the ripple effect of free mom hugs. To see moms and dads and friends and allies go to their first pride and have that experience and then when they share about it and that that brings me the most joy and to hear stories from the community saying I got a, a hug today where I hadn't been hugged by my mom in four years since I came out and it's stories like that it's testimonies mm-hmm. like that that um, bring me the most joy and it's most validating And what, what grieves you the most at this point? I think knowing the power of fear and ignorance. Mm. I've, I've seen what it's done in, in my life, my family's life, and, and the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and the good news is, you know, we can educate. We can, we can be verbal. Uh, we can have conversations, we can be visible. And so it's not like it's hopeless. You know, yes, there's fear and ignorance. I've been there, done that, got the medal, you know, or the trophy or whatever they say. But there's conversations to be had. As long as I can have a conversation or go shopping with my transgender friend um, and and do it, you know, res- you know, with just normally and change the social norm around me and value my transgender friend. And I use that because right now the transgender community is at the heart of conflict here. They're, um, they're being murdered. Mm-hmm. But to be able to shop in a local target and, and value and appreciate this beautiful spirit filled of uh, human being and to have passerbys or other customers see me, do you understand that? The ripple effect of that? Mm-hmm. If you stare too long, I'll say, guess what? Take a picture. It'll last longer. You know? <laughs> and yeah. I don't mean it rude. I'm just saying, look, take a picture. And then there's there. And then you get past that. And then you can say, are we looking for the same thing? Cause we're on the same aisle. I'm looking for the toilet paper. What are you looking for? It brings humanity to it. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I love. That's yeah. What I love. Yeah. It's actually, so, there's hope and hope never disappoints. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To actually, you know, I, I, I think of the, the kingdom as sort of a dimensional reality, if you will. And it sounds like in, in those moments you're, you're in the kingdom and people, <laughs> people can't not see that or feel that no matter what their reaction is, they have to go home and, and kind of sleep with that and maybe it'll work on them. Yeah. I just believe that <laughs> I, you know, I do believe that, it's possible to have heaven on earth. And I you know, like to think that I experienced that. There's hell on earth too, I suppose, if you think about it long Yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I was going to talk to you about the rapture. Um, that okay. was rapture, rapture ready, uh, just looking forward to heaven. But now I experience here, and I do see that, that dynamic to a different degree than I used to. And I think, what if the rapture is just when everybody gets it? You know, what if the rapture is just when everybody gets it, and that's mm. love, and it's just love for your neighbor, love, unconditional love. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so thick. I mean, I know you run into it all the time. I, I do as well here in, you know, the Mississippi, Tennessee area, but I posted something the other day about, um, I can't even remember what it was. It was something about, um, you know, maybe instead of getting fixated on same-sex love, we should just look at, you know, if, if there's a fixation on what we want to call sexual sin, we, have, we could really look at how there's so many uh, pastors and youth pastors and different people in places of authority that, um, you know, are, are abusing children. And it comes out, you know, as a scandal at some point or how one in three girls and one in five boys are being abused. And it's usually by someone who's probably sitting on the pew next to them, you know, or next to you while they're in Sunday school or something like that. And, uh, you know, someone's response was just something like, uh, you know, you're leading people astray. And I'm thinking there, there's a special kind of helmet you must be wearing for this not to calculate, you know, uh, there's a there's a there's a pharaohness, for lack of a better word, to the the hard headedness that leads to the hard heartedness. And uh, I'm wondering if you have any advice for those of us who really, probably partly, well, surely partly because of our own psychology and all these other different factors, but get weighed down and bogged down into either negativity or despair or angst or something that's just not productive that is understandable, but if it becomes the predominant thing that either holds us down or drives us, then we're officially not really a part of anything that's helpful. Well, I would say just focus on, on what's producing the fruit in that mm. mission or that I call it an expedition <laughs> or that um, whatever it is that you're doing wherever it's producing fruit you focus on that thing mm. um, now I believe that there needs to be you know of course there, there are things that require I mean you're talking about a very severe like criminal act you know I'm not, I don't know, for me, the best thing I can do without getting bogged down, for me, it works just to focus on the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The fruit, my friend Liz says all the time, the fruit doesn't lie. And mm. whatever is producing good fruit. And because I used to try to bridge the gap between the non-affirming church and the affirming church, and it just never, it never was fruitful. Yeah. Instead, I focus on the LGBTQ plus community and their parents to have authentic relationships, and it has produced healing, abundant fruit. Mm. Makes sense. Yes, absolutely. But if you're in a position where, like, especially when there when there's um, you know criminal criminal acts within the church, I mean that. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. I've heard enough stories about conversion therapy that will mm-hmm. keep me awake at night. Yeah, but I just thank God these these precious people survived it. Yeah. Um, so you help celebrate them and who they are, and that they survived it, and try to to, to reclaim their time. Yeah. The abuse of power. I mean, that's where you just try to educate those who do it. So, not educate, but love and celebrate those who do it. Yeah. Hurt so badly. Yeah. 
it's it's just always really bugged me to see what I, I would absolutely consider that to be sexual sin because it's literally harming another person against their will and how that's complete, almost completely ignored. And you'll see denominations split over same-sex love um, and what to do with that quote sin, but don't address the literal thing that's happening in real time every day to at least one child in your community. It is There's so much of a, a shadow and a projection to that. It's, it's really scary. It's horrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I just, I can't hardly speak to it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't know what the answer is to that except for education and to just be aware of what's just, you know what? I do know what the answer is. The answer is to, when you see something, you say something. You know, it's not about, you know, uh, there's a term going around cancel. What's that? Cancel. Like cancel culture or call out culture. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 But there is something to that and saying enough is enough. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. Stop the madness. It's harming people. Absolutely. And and I love your advice to, to maybe invest in a new community because I, I've not had much success, success myself in trying to bridge those two worlds. And I, I think a lot of people hold back because it's like I've heard Jim Hatmaker say the price is belonging. You know, when you take a certain stance, you no longer belong to a collective and you still need community. Uh, so why try to why try to still blend in where you don't you no longer belong and find your new your new people? <laughs> yeah. And we well, we we are seeing that played out right now with the United Methodist Church, you know, and um I tell my Methodist friends like look in if you're in a traditional uh, plan denomination mm-hmm. uh, within that denomination. I hope you're pushing the envelope so much so that they invite you to preach it from the pulpit or ask you to leave. Um, <laughs> I can vouch that that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've either been asked to to no longer preach or had to leave or just decided to leave and multiple settings so yeah well you are a rebel rouser of the very best kind <laughs> well thank you for that um, I want to ask you um, a, briefly about uh, your relationship with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and how that happened and <laughs> what, what's to come of that it's just incredible um, to see that and I was so happy to see that happening for you oh well thank you it, it's it was um, a surprise of that I still don't fully comprehend. Um, you know, through this journey, I started, you know, getting involved with the community and meeting couples who are falling in love. And they would ask if I would officiate their, their wedding. And so, and that's something I had to ask myself too, you know. So I got ordained and started officiating same gender weddings. And I love, I love, you know, being able to do that. And through that, I started hearing about parents not showing up for the wedding or refusing to, to acknowledge the relationship. So out of frustration one night, I posted a picture of uh, myself with my hand up in the air saying, if, if your biological mom won't come to your same-sex wedding and you call me, I'll be your biggest fan, I'll be there. And that went viral. And what happened is people from all over the world said, well, I'll, I'll stand in too, I'll be your mom, you know, I'll be your crazy aunt, I'll be your uncle, whatever. And that's, that's what went viral, it got national attention, and Jamie Lee Curtis saw it, and 
she contacted me and we started visiting and uh, she found out about the book that I wrote and she acquired the rights to it. She read it and uh, there's a script being written and Sony and, and the Lifetime station uh, acquired the rights and they're um, making a movie and mm. it's, it's due to come out uh, around Mother's Day, last I heard. Okay, it'll be in theaters? No, this will be on this the be Lifetime. On the Lifetime channel, okay. But there's also a documentary being made. I don't know if you've heard about that. So there's two different projects. You have the, I haven't. the film with Jimmy Lee Curtis, and you have the a documentary called the Mama Bear documentary. Okay. Uh, director Darisha Kai, um, she follows mothers uh, like me, who are just doing um, things where they live to try and to just make the world a, a, a better place. But she follows us on, on tour, and that's a documentary that will be more all on the independent films, on PBS. So, so I like, I love that these projects are going to be in two different genres. You know, there's a mom out there like me then who needs a mom like me now. So what I would have done to have seen free mom hugs at a Walmart, you know, someone wearing a free mom hug shirt at a Walmart. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, yeah, the two projects are very exciting to me. I have no idea what the next or what this year we're going to both do out this year. Um, so it's exciting. It's an exciting time in our life, and I just couldn't be more thrilled with it. And I just, um, I just, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> at, at every turn, it's like, really, this is still happening. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's just a constant blooming. Yeah, well, we're yeah. Uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, in Oklahoma, we're um, getting ready to have our hold our fifth transgender Valentine's banquet, and it's just a, a time to celebrate the transgender community and those that love and support them. And um, I, though my son is not transgender, uh, but I happened in on a PFLAG meeting that I thought was for high schoolers and moms like me, and it turned out to be for the transgender community adult, mm. the tra adult transgender community. And yeah. It was my first time to be in the same room with, that I'm aware of with a transgender person. And we just fell in love. I thought it was beautiful, misunderstood, precious people. Because yeah. I heard their story. And anyway, so I'm just really happy about that. There are a lot of, a lot of wonderful things happening. Yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a quote uh, that I saw uh, attributed to you that says no one has searched no <laughs> no one has searched no one has searched God the word of God or themselves more than the gay Christian or their mother mm -hmm. that's true oh that's beautiful no one I mean you yeah. uh, Parker searched himself Parker mm -hmm. searched the face of God the heart of God the word of God mm -hmm. and himself um, and it's it's a it's, I mean, yeah, no one. And yeah. I like to say that no one has searched the, the Lord more than the gay Christian or their mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's just rings so true. And, you know, just makes me wish people would ask, not tell, you know, to ask the gay Christian, ask their mother to, to, to be a student instead of the authority, <laughs> you know, in their own mind about, interpretation of scripture and all, there's just so much to be learned. Oh my uh, gosh. Well, yeah. you know uh, about the work of Kathy Baldock? 
I don't. Kathy Baldock is an author. Um, she wrote, her first book was Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. She would be an excellent guest to have. Um, okay. Tell me, yeah. Right, she's right. She's finishing up her second book in a documentary that she is, uh, she dove into the original language, the original translation, and she's done a profound, in-depth study with scholars and theologians, and she gives presentations that are two hours long about the history of human sexuality, okay. science, and evidence, and scripture, and I mean, this second book she's working on and the documentary that's coming out, the last working title I heard of it was uh, Lost in Translation. And uh, her mm -hmm. argument is that the, the word homosexuality has just been misinterpreted. Absolutely. Understood. Mm -hmm. It's just going to blow the doors wide. I'm yeah. excited about her work. So incredibly valuable. But yeah, she'd be an amazing guest. She's, yeah. She she has a joke. We have a running joke between us. She says, "You hug him, and I kick him in the butt." <laughs> <laughs> or, or no, she says, "Do you give him a hug, and I give him a swift kick?" Yeah. All yeah. Also, oh, this. Um. Well, I, I could talk for hours, but one more person I could not. I just have to mention is Liz Dyer. Liz mm -hmm. Dyer is uh, the facilitator for a private online Facebook group for moms with um, LGBTQ plus kids. And uh, when I joined her group, there were 250 moms. Now there's probably over 8,000 moms. Wow. And um, she has an incredible story. She also has a gay son, uh, raised in, a, I think, a Southern Baptist church. But she's just so well-spoken and, I mean, just politically-minded. Uh, just, I just love her. I wish I'd, I'd channel her whenever I can. Yeah. But those two would make remarkable guests. I really, okay. really enjoy talking to them. Yes, I, I made a note of that. Um, would love to follow through on that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I have uh, just two more questions for you. Okay, okay. Uh, one, how can people join the work that you've started? What's the best way for them to know more about you and how they can get involved? Okay, well, there's a, a couple of ways. Um, if you pray, pray for us. Um, and if you are able and uh, want to, you can find a local chapter uh, by going to the website, which is www.remahugs.org. And you can find a chapter in your state and just show up. Uh, if you follow that on social media, there'll be events listed. And um, we, we are a fully affirming organization. That means that we recognize same-sex marriage is holy. And we celebrate the spiritual gifts of the community. Um, so don't don't plan on coming and praying the gay way, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We are fully affirming. We are allies to the fullest extent. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, and the third part, if you, um, if you would consider a tie to to our organization, we are grassroots. We, uh, we, don't, we don't have grants. Uh, we depend purely on donations, and we have chapters now in every state um, that um, these chapters are getting organized and working to serve the community where they're at. And, um, and you know, we just need change to make change. <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay. But we travel. We travel um, 
we go to, we go to schools and speak there. We offer resources to to hospitals, to counselors, to uh, we speak at we speak at businesses, State Farm, Dell, you know, Boeing, wherever we're invited. And we have tours. We have Free Mom Hugs tour where we it's a two week journey that uh, we have luncheons with civic faith and business leaders. And in the evening time, we'll go to a gay district and, and offer hugs and. Um, yeah, so there's so many ways to get plugged in and involved. Yeah, okay. But I think the main thing would be just to plug into your local chapter and, and we, we accept ads too, Tony. That free dad hugs okay. on our website. We have a website that has merchandise. Uh, we depend on, on the sale of those to, to help us do what we do. Um, okay. so lots of nice. I'd love to, to have you join us at a pride parade. Now, I know you've been to a drag show. You shared that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been to Pride Parades as well. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm yep. just so thankful, Tony, to be on this side of the story with you. What what a, a wonderful way to, to be in this season, this season of our lives. So thank yeah, you. absolutely. Glad to be on journeys that intersect in this way. So my last question um, in this moment, not yesterday or not tomorrow, but just right now in this moment, what is your wisdom for the world right now? Just love each other. It's very simple, just love. And just do the best you can with what you've got and who you're with. And if you see a need, fill it. If you don't, if you don't know how to, then find someone who does. Mm. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for the, for the time and the platform and doing what you do. We're better together. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I look forward to talking with you again sometime in the near future. Man who's not yet grown. Thank you for listening to episode 11 of the Voices of Wisdom podcast. Please give us a review, like, share, help us get this podcast into the world. The music for this podcast is provided by Birds of Chicago. You can find them at birdsofchicago.com. If you'd like to know more about Sarah and her work, you can find that information at freemomhugs.org. If you'd like to know more about me and about the podcast, please find me at tonycaldwell.com. This podcast would not be possible without the creative talents of Matt Lipley, Melanie Cummings, and Pete Lepley. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. I've recorded several new episodes with uh, musicians here in Nashville, and I cannot wait to share those with you. So look for those in the coming weeks. Thank you, and I'll see you soon. Do not feel the winter blowing In the hearts of men I've seen American flowers They will bloom